Welcome to Made It Happen podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Hafling. Made It Happen is a podcast series highlighting female founders who took a chance and launched their own business. Through interviews with female entrepreneurs, Made It Happen is dedicated to inspiring others through stories of those who've experienced going out on their own firsthand, discussing all the highs and the lows. It can be easy to see the glamorous side of starting your own business through the internet and social media, but what does it really take behind the scenes to launch and run your own successful business? Listen in for tangible tips and advice for growing your business from those who have been there. Hear how these inspiring female founders made it happen. Okay, so today I'm joined by Tara Murphy. Tara, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I am as well. I'm excited to be speaking with you, and I know there's a lot I want to dive into. So to get things started, do you want to just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so uh, my name is Tara Murphy. My All my social handles are Tara Marie Murphy because that's my full name, and Tara Murphy was taken. Um, but I um, kind of grew up in a, in a world where I was fascinated by money and finance, and not material so much, but um, more so just the concept behind, okay, a bank and a bank card and you're paying for things and cash and plastic and credit. So I just kind of grew up asking questions about money and um, trying to understand, you know, where people came from, where money came from, why do some people have more than others? So um, I went into finance. I've always had a interest in finance. I took uh, finance in undergrad and then continued my studies post-graduation. And here I am. I now, I work at an investment bank and I've also started uh, my own consulting business, helping women and young people learn how to invest and kind of get the conversation with money started in a more comfortable and confident way. Um, I travel a lot. So I live in Toronto uh, most of the year. And then in the winters, I live in the past few years, I've lived in Mexico. And (laughs) that's kind of funny. Thank you, pandemic for that. And yeah, so I travel a lot. So you'll see kind of mixed in content with travel and travel hacks with money and all all encompassing kind of what my brand and vibe is. I love that. And there's definitely so much I want to dive into and especially sort of around the conversation with women and money, because I think it can be very like shied away from and something that's not often talked about. So I'm so glad that that's something that you focus on. And to start off, I know part of your story too, is that you saved $100,000 before the age of 24, which is incredible. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this experience and sort of how it plays into your story? Yeah, so that's a funny one. It's like very strange for me to attach like a number to me and a financial journey anyway. So that's not something, you know, the whole six-figure income type of um, vibe, not that I knock it, but it, it always doesn't align with me and how I'm trying to represent myself. But the fun fact about saving that money at, before I was 24 was that I was able to travel many different countries in the world and I bought my first property at 24 years old. So the significance of saving that much money meant that, okay, financial freedom for me is within reach. Okay, now financial freedom for everybody is within reach. So my my saving journey kind of prompted me to, okay, now I have my day-to-day basics down. I know how to budget, how to save. I never felt like I was cutting things out or suffocating or 
budgeting in a way that meant I couldn't have things. So that milestone of a hundred thousand and first home and still being able to travel showed me like, Oh, I'm going to take a huge part of my life and dedicate my time to helping people figure out how they can rinse and repeat this process. Because now I've purchased several properties and I'm on track to buy another one. And I'm just a regular person from a regular family. Um, So I feel like that uh, milestone for me was a big shift where now I can start to teach people and help people to kind of, like I said, rinse and repeat to understand that you don't have to come from money or be like an old white man to invest and be good with your money. We can all do it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I definitely agree. And I think part of that that goes into it is that whole part of the money mindset. And I know that's something that you definitely talk about and focus on. And can you tell us a little bit about like, what does this mean to you? And sort of for someone who's not too familiar with the concept, what really is my money mindset mean? Yeah. So um, this is a really good question because we see it out there all the time, like healthy relationship with money, money mindset. What your money mindset really is, is a, a kind of a framework of something that encompasses how you were raised when it comes to money, how you perceive money in your life and your money story, your relationship with money, and how it aligns with yourself and your decisions in life. So if you are somebody who has a negative money mindset or a scarcity money mindset, you're feeling like no matter how much I make, I'm struggling or I'm living paycheck to paycheck. If you're somebody has who has you know a money mindset where your fear is growth in, in money or fear of success means that you're going to keep yourself here and you're about abundance because you're scared of what if there's too much money or how do I manage it? How do I do it? So it's funny because a lot of people think, oh, negative money mindset means I don't have money or I have a scarcity mindset. Really, every single person has money blocks and abundance blocks and challenges with money that don't equate to a dollar number. It equates to how you were raised. And also, like I said, your relationship and mindset when it comes to money. If you're in the space where you know money will come to you, it's flowing, we live in an abundant world, and it's not hard for you to earn money, how you're earning money is aligned with your values. It's not like I hate my job, I don't like how I'm earning my money. All of that ties into where your mindset is with your relationship with money. How do you talk about money? How do you talk about money with yourself, with others? Are you comfortable looking at your finances? All of that comes into how you can have a more healthy relationship with money and mindset because that shift, I'm telling you, will make a huge difference in in your financial story and finances in life. Yes, absolutely. I definitely agree. And I love the way you put that. And I think that really ties into with business women own, uh, sorry, women business owners, um, because I think a lot of the time it is that mindset piece that's holding them back, you know, especially when you're coming to pricing services, like that's a huge consideration that people might not be sort of living up to the full potential because of that sort of, you know, scared mindset of really going to that next level. And what sort of advice or tips would you give to someone who's sort of in that stage right now, a female entrepreneur who maybe is ready for that next milestone, but really it's that mindset piece holding them back. Yeah. I think when it comes to your mindset, if you're going to start a business, there has to be a, a stage where you're ready to jump in. Like the fear that comes with starting a business 
gifts and comes with money and comes with the monetary, you know, expenses that come with it. At some point, you have to talk yourself and work through that mentally. Because if you're always afraid, no matter what it is in life and business and health and whatever, to try new things or to put yourself out there, then you're going to find that the fear is going to drive your business and drive your prices. Like you can feel desperation. You can feel whether it's dating somebody or relationship or friendship, you know, having your own balance within yourself in that healthy relationship with money, both personally and if you're an entrepreneur, means that you have to be comfortable and confident and ready to dive in. And there's steps you can take. And, you know, always all of us can be growing when it comes to our money mindset. But things like ditching your negative language, just saying like, I can't afford it. I'm broke. The business isn't earning any money. Uh, I'm not pricing high enough. I'm not worthy. All of those things, like if you believe that, this is what your business is going to reflect. And, you know, in all sense of the word, if you're not looking at your finances because you think, you know, there's nothing in there, there's nothing to look as a business, then, you know, you can't successfully run a business that way and you can't expect to scale and grow. And you're lying to yourself about what's going on in your business. So I think, you know, have some grace, give yourself grace because money isn't everybody's area of expertise. You could be the very best, you know, at running a salon or running a marketing firm or PR or whatever. And finance isn't your thing. And that's fine because we were never taught. Like you can't just expect yourself to walk into a new business, understanding exactly how to run it and run your finances if nobody taught you. So I think people need to give themselves a little grace in how they're approaching their money mindset and their finances, knowing like I'm, I'm starting with baby steps and that's okay. But I think being honest with yourself about like, hey, where's the money going? Where is it being spent? What's coming in? What's going out is very important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I definitely agree. And I think that that's such great advice and great tips that people can really use and take with their business. And you mentioned there too, you know, going in and starting a business. And what would you say to someone who is looking to start a business and maybe needed some funding for it, needed some capital, didn't really have it all just readily available? What would you sort of suggest in terms of which avenue should they really be looking to? Yeah. So somebody who works in investment banking, it's so funny because I see deals come across the desk all the time. People need capital. They want the investment bank or, you know, VC to fund them. And it's my job at the bank to kind of pick that apart and understand, you know, what's the business. So on the flip side, it's funny because now I know what questions we're asking as people who are financing businesses. And so what what should we do on the other end to make sure those questions are answered? And I think more often than not, even in the investment banking and capital raising world, whether it's $100,000 or $100 million, we, we look at the relationships we have and we look at the value of the business. So um, yes, not only are we looking as somebody who, you know, is auditing those people looking for money, we're looking for, you know, what what's your burn rate, which is how much do you spend versus how much is coming in. That's a big one when you're looking to raise capital. You want to maintain a pretty steady and low burn rate so that it, it doesn't show that you're just burning through capital constantly. And things like salaries for bigger businesses, like if you're paying yourself, not that you shouldn't be paying yourself. If we're talking small business, everyone should be paying themselves 100%. But as you're scaling, you know, if you're paying yourself unequal to what's coming in or what you're paying other people, people who are trying to 
give you money are going to, you know, bat an eye at that. But uh, most importantly, I think your relationships and network, network, network. If you are somebody that's trying to raise capital, networking is key because I could see eight deals come across my desk. And if I have a relationship with one of the people or want somebody on their board or whatever, that relationship will further along that deal. And that's not to say there's any bias, but on a big scale, you know, your relationships are going to carry you further than an investment deck will. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I definitely agree. I think that's such so important. And really in business in general, networking is always so important, whether you're looking for finance or even just in general, I think it always is, you know, great for the business and for yourself just to meet those new people in the space. And, you know, talking about sort of looking at those finances, where it's going, is there sort of a really timeline in terms of how often should entrepreneurs and business owners be looking at those finances? Should they be looking at it every day, each month, quarterly? Sort of what do you advise in sort of that space? This is a funny question because I have a girlfriend who runs a wellness business and a clinic and we go out and we talk and whatever. And we always end up talking shop a little bit. And I found out she wasn't really paying herself. She was paying her staff and she was paying for the clinic rent space and she was paying... And so we, I, like, we stopped the food and I'm like, okay, we have to do a little deep dive here because I need to understand what's going on. You've been running this business for a while. You need to be paying yourself. And um, running a business is hard. So at the very end of the day, you at least want to make sure that for yourself, you're being paid. So what what we did was an exercise for, like, I call it value-based spending. And uh, that exercise is making sure where are your biggest margins of profit And what are you spending on? What value is it bringing back? So let's go through every freaking line item you have. How much value is that bringing back? Okay, your rent space. You need your rent space for a clinic. So, okay, that brings you value because people come. All the rest of it, where can we modify? Where can we cut? And whatever your biggest profit margin is for her to take home income instead of paying somebody else, that's where she needs to be putting more ad spend and more resources because her money should be going to the places that return the most. So that's a concept called value-based spending. And it's very important in our personal lives. Like, is what I'm purchasing right now providing me value? Is this piece of clothing providing me value no matter what that means to me? And I think I'm off topic a little bit. She said, oh, I looked. I only realized I wasn't paying myself because I look once a month at my finances for the business. And I, again, was like choking. (laughs) Okay, if you don't have an accountant or somebody doing that for you, you as a business owner, I think need to be looking more than once a month than at the end of the month, because that by that time, you can't change anything that month, you can't modify, redirect, whatever. So I say, you know, daily might be a little of a stretch um, to go through and do an audit and whatever. But Bi-weekly for sure, I think is very reasonable to go as a business owner and check, okay, what's been coming in? Is it consistent to last week? Is it consistent to last month? Is there anything new that I'm doing with my business that I should be? I don't mean you have to, you know, go full accounting mode and like audit yourself and make yourself, there's no guilt or shame supposed to be associated. It's just understanding what's happening in your business, whether it's a one person show or a 10 man show. You know, if you wait it until the month or quarter to kind of take a look and just see what's going on to understand, it might be too late to make a small change that could drive more value in your business. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's such a great point and something that I think a lot of business owners probably didn't realize. So I think that's going to be really great advice for them to sort of take and move forward with going, um, you know, checking those budgets more often so that you can really see where that growth can come from. And one point you mentioned there too, is sort of the salary part of being a business owner. And is there sort of a percentage wise or a formula almost for how much you should be saving with your business, how much you should be investing back into it, how much you should be spending sort of that split ratio? Is there sort of a formula that you suggest people follow for that? Yeah, that's an interesting question because for personal finances, I can answer that very easily. It's like, keep your expenses. I try and tell my students under 50%, depending on where you live, if you can keep your expenses under 50% of what you're earning a month. And then that leaves room for saving, investing and debt repayment, as well as just extra. I'm very big on, and I have an investing program or it's like a, it's called the total money makeover program because it goes through everything. And in one of the modules, we focus on budgeting and I am very big on when you're making a budget for yourself, there needs to be wiggle room, like grace with yourself and money. If you, you don't give yourself wiggle room, if you have too much, you know, allocated per dollar a month, you're going to find yourself not meeting those goals because who can things come up every month. And then it leaves room for shame, for guilt, for judgment, for stress. So when you're a business owner or when you're taking care of your own personal finances, I think it's so important to make note that, okay, you have your budget, no matter what your percentages are. I wish I could give like a clear answer for entrepreneurs, but some people are in the first month of their business. So they don't have any money to reinvest at this point. If you're in year two, then you can start to get on a, okay, 50% under is my expenses. Now I can allocate this 50% differently. If you have a team, it's going to look different, but most important is again, value-based spending. Where am I spending? Is it providing me value? If not cut it out, is there anything that I could do cheaper and leaner? Is there anything that I could do myself without stressing myself out? And you know, what does it look like now that I'm on my six month or 12 month or year two? Are things regular? So I think the most important thing for business owners with their money is to make sure they're understanding what's going on month to month. And then you can make more smart, informed decisions about where you're going to allocate that money. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's such a great point. And I definitely agree. It's it's always different with people at different stages in their business, whether they're just starting and they're a few years in. So I think that's a great way to sort of look at it and move forward sort of with those finances. And you mentioned investing there too, which I know is your area of expertise. And what would you say to someone or sort of where, if someone was looking to get into investing sort of just at that starting stage, where would you suggest they sort of turn to or sort of in terms of getting their like first foot in that door? So that's funny because I I know that I mentioned I have that big program where I went through everything and I was crazy starting that as a new entrepreneur. I was like, okay, I'm going to go big or go home. And spoiler alert, that's not always the best way to go. I probably would have scaled back a little and had a smaller offering instead of putting everything out there because I find it's a little overwhelming for people to be like, here are all the tools and there's 10 modules, you know, that's overwhelming when it comes to something you're not sure of. So now fast forward years later, I'm actually working on an auto investing program, mini course, like an hour teaching you how to auto invest um, for Canadians, because a lot of people ask that question, where should I begin to invest and auto investing and setting up automated investment. Every big bank in Canada and the US, but this little course I'm going to create is for Canadians because I'm Canadian. 
every bank has their own funds and their own investment options. And they have risk tolerances for based on your age, based on what you have a month. And you can start with as little as $100 first time and then no subsequent requirement after. So even if you're like, okay, I'm going to start with $100 today, then I'm going to do $5 a week for the rest of my life or $20 a week for the rest of my life, whatever the number is for you. A, that number can change, and B, you can set it up like an auto deposit, like a bill payment, where every month you're investing in the stock market, in safe spaces that are aligned with you. You can own parts of Tesla, parts of Apple, like everybody else, with just a dollar amount instead of going out there, being stressed, what do I purchase, what's a share? So best place to start actually is at our home banks and there are investment accounts that you can open and ways you can set up auto automatic deposits just like a Rogers payment or a Bell payment or whatever a month and that is the easiest most passive and best way for any Canadian to start because I'm telling you like $200 a month in your 20s and your 30s will turn into hundreds of thousands of dollars of interest over time. And I don't think people really realize that that's how it works. And it, it works. You know, it's been over a decade of me now trial and erroring this stuff. And without the investment world, I wouldn't own a property, much less a few. And I wouldn't have rental income and I wouldn't have, you know, streams of income. So that's the best way to get started is through your home bank and automating those investments. So you don't have to think about it or stress about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's amazing. I didn't realize you could do it on an auto deposit, which I think it's something everyone's so used to. So just being able to build that into sort of your everyday is, I think, amazing. And um, you mentioned there too about passive income. And I know that's another sort of one of your areas of expertise is having uh, some passive income areas. And do you want to just give us a few examples of you know ways that people could be getting into passive income right now and some of those different avenues you could take? Yeah, so passive income is funny because it comes with the investing world where you want everything to be automated and you want everything to be easy. And I want my money to be working for me instead of me constantly working to earn my money. And that's a concept. I think even that concept I could sit here and talk for hours about and still blows my brains when I'm thinking of Money should be working for people instead of people working for their money because the power of a dollar and currency in a country like Canada and, you know, how investing works is that you're placing your money in a business and a company. They're using your money to value-based spend, grow their returns, and then in turn, the stock and the business grows together. So as part owner of that company, um, you're investing in the economy, you're investing in yourself, you're investing in these businesses, you're investing in you know all of these ways to make passive income. So that's why I kind of fell into the passive income world because I it all kind of resonates under the same investment umbrella. So I think investments are the best way to create you know, passive income as you get older. And I explained this to a student yesterday because some people don't realize this as well. If your money is sitting there and let's say in 20 years, you have $20,000, $1,000 a year, you're saving and then investing, that $20,000 will compound into interest. And average interest that you get is 10% interest in the stock market a year. Should be 12, Some last year it was 25. So let's just base it at 10% a year. 
as you get older, that dollar amount will grow, which means the 10% margin every year will grow further. And if you're like, okay, I only want to make 8% on my money this year. I'm going to take 2% for myself. I'm going to take 5% for myself. Your money is still making money while you're able to pull money out for yourself. So that's how investment income works. Um, companies pay dividends where they pay you back like an, oh, thank you so much for investing with me every year. So there's people who only invest in dividend stocks because they pay you back. But outside of the investing world, you can totally create passive income by monetizing whatever the hell it is that you love to do or that you do well. You know, if you're an amazing cook, film it, put it on TikTok, voila, there's 10,000 followers overnight because people love your recipe. So I think passive income these days, because the internet is there, because there are so many options, whatever makes you tick outside of your day-to-day job, there are so many ways to monetize that these days. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I definitely love that. And I think it definitely is important to have it as that passion first and then create the income from it because then it's something that you really love to do. You don't feel like you're being forced to do it. And is there any considerations that should be made before sort of diving into any of those avenues, whether it's, you know, um, starting an Airbnb or, you know, other sort of ways? Is there any sort of considerations you'd have people make beforehand? Yeah, so Airbnb is a good one because in Toronto, regulations has changed. I've run Airbnbs for like six to seven years and my own properties are rental properties. But um, the consideration in that wing when it's more hands-on and something you're doing day to day, that is probably the best passive income other than my investments that I've ever made as a side hustle um, or a passive income project because people are always looking for places and hotels are so expensive. But the consideration is that regulations are going to change. So if you're doing something like Airbnb or there's Turo, it's called T-U-R-O is to rent your car similar to Airbnb. If you have a nice car sitting in your driveway, you can rent it. Obviously, wear and tear, what are the damage? You know, How do we have liability for these things? But for example, Airbnb for me, it's copy paste, copy paste. I can do it in Toronto. I can do it in Mexico. I can do it in Texas, wherever I want to. But regulations are the only consideration because you don't want your business or your side passive income to be shut down when you're on the hook for something like a property. But when it comes to, you know, monetizing your own business at home, regulations aren't really an issue because unless your videos get taken down from social media, you don't really have the same consideration, but it's not the same. Okay. Book and paid book and you're paid book and you're paid type of passive income. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I think that's definitely such a great thing to keep in mind and considerations people should make before sort of going down those a- different avenues for it. And I want to switch ge- gears a little bit to building your own business as well. And what have you found to sort of be the biggest challenge in terms of sort of building your consulting and coaching and courses and everything um, a part of your business? Yeah, I'm laughing because like the whole thing is hard, you know, like I don't think I listen to your podcast and I don't think there's one woman or person that would ever come on and be like, oh my God, it's a breeze. You know, there are always struggles when it comes to running your own business. Um, And I'm still not there fully where I have both feet in because I work at the investment bank as well. So it's interesting for me because I'm going through a personal shift now where I wish there were six of me because I would love to be able to have 24 hours a day where I could be working. And what I've learned in the last year of running my business, 
actually the last like six months ish is I need to outsource. I need to be utilizing help and support. And the one thing I hear about other, I have amazing virtual assistants. I, they're amazing. And I'm now I'm with a girlfriend being like, should we run a virtual assistant business? Like I'm crazy. <laughs> How many businesses can I run? But these women have changed my life because while I was sick with COVID or while I'm trying to enjoy an evening at home when an entrepreneur can't do that, they allow me to take my foot off the gas a little. And the number one thing I hear from other entrepreneurs is I don't have trust. You know, I have a hard time trusting people in in the space of my business because if you hire an assistant or you hire a team, you have to trust them. You cannot do everything yourself. So it has been hard. My number one lesson that I've learned is outsourcing is okay. You can trust people. You can allow your baby to be in other hands. Totally normal. And it's something that we all should should do because it changed how I run my business. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I think that's something a lot of people can definitely relate to and, and struggle with a lot. But I think it's great sort of hearing, you know, there is so much more that it can bring to you and allow you to free up your time and really focus on what's moving the needle in your business. So I think that is a really great strategy to go towards. And if someone was just starting their business right now, what sort of advice would you give to them? Ooh, wow. You have such tough <laughs> questions because they're direct questions where it's like you want to provide honest answers, but you also like, you could ask me this last week or a month from now, and maybe the answer would be different. But, um, my best advice for somebody starting is make sure you're ready to, to be there because I dabbled in probably at the same time. And I'm still being very honest when I say I'm still struggling with the balance of, I have a job that I love and I love the business that I've created. And at some point, there's not going to be room for both. And I think, you know, I jumped in a little bit too soon for me without realizing, hey, what is this going to mean for me? And is are you ready to leave your job because you love this new job that you've created? So I think make sure on, you know, all spectrums, you're ready to really dive into the business because I'm sure as every other person on your podcast has told you, it's not easy, but it is the most rewarding sense of self and freedom that you will find. So when you are ready, like don't hesitate, take your jump, but just make sure you know you're ready with the tools and the capital and whatever you need to make that jump. Because the last thing you need as a business owner or an entrepreneur is to jump into stress. You know, the last thing you want to do, whether it's financial stress or mental stress or emotional stress, whatever, is jump into a situation that doesn't feel good. So if you're starting a business at a time that feels right to you, it will feel so much more rewarding and it will feel so much less stressful if you're ready. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, I definitely agree. I think that's great advice. And for people, for anyone looking to sort of start the side business or take the business full time, I think that's such great advice. And do you have any future plans for your business coming up you'd like to share? I know that you said you're working on a mini course right now. Is there any other exciting things coming up? You know what? That's such a funny question to ask because again, it's like I just, I try and be very authentic with what's happening with the business. And I always have my coaching available because the reason I began this business was to help people and women learn to invest and be more comfortable and confident. Um, I do have my investing program that's always available to purchase online and comes with, you know, 10 amazing modules. And I am coming up with an auto investing program. So Canadians, it's going to be, I'm going to try and keep it under an hour 
of just a quick crash course with links based on the bank you bank with. I'm going to have one for BMO, Scotia, RBC, TD, Tangerine, all of them in Canada where it will show you, okay, you bank with RBC. Let me teach you with RBC exactly how to set up automated investments and which ones that I recommend that you invest in per month or how often, whatever, with a calculator. So that's going to be a really fun thing that I'm launching soon because I think that will be so helpful and quick for people to make a difference. Like I said before, $200 a month could turn into hundreds of thousands of dollars if you and your partner take the course, start doing it, and now you're going to end up with retirement of a million plus dollars. It's life-changing type stuff. And and I, you know, I wish again there were six of me so I could coach independently a million people, but this is the best solution that I've come up with to offer people. So I'm really excited about that to be coming because I think it will be a game changer for people. Yes, absolutely. I definitely agree. I can't wait to see that to come. I think it's going to be so useful for so many people. And where can people go to find you and find when that is is launched and um, everything about you online? Um, so my Instagram, I'm pretty active on there. It's Tara Marie Murphy. My website is also Tara Marie Murphy. And uh, on my Instagram and website, there's links where you can find whether it's, you know, travel itineraries you're looking for, courses or working together or all the information's always there. Thanks to my amazing team for, for making it beautiful for me. Um, and yeah, that's the, the, I'm always having free resources, free trainings. I have a 21 page free resource guide in Instagram. I have a 2022 money challenge. I'm always trying to hear, here is everything I'm doing and spewing at you so that I can help as many people as I can with those resources. So they're all there for you. Free mailing list, uh, market updates, all that stuff is there on Instagram. Perfect. Amazing. We'll be sure to include all of those links in the show notes, but thank you so much, Tara, for joining me here today and sharing all of your expertise. I know I learned so much and I know our listeners will as well. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in to Made It Happen podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please feel free to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. And thanks again for all your support. I'll see you next week.